I've got two theories on this, right? One, he started the leg dangle because he thought, if I just put that leg out, then if somebody's going to come up up the inside, then I basically, that's going to buy me an extra, say, 30 centimetres. And, you know, the sort of that amount of precision. And he's thinking, no one's going to risk snapping my leg. So he either did it for that. But I've sort of got this feeling that he might have started doing it because he just thought, everyone's copying me. So I'm going to start dangling the leg. So I've got this feeling that there's going to be like, when he retires, I think that like, he's going to come out and go, oh, you know, that whole leg thing that wasn't required. I am ready. Take one, four, two. Hey guys, welcome back to Last of the Breaks, the MotoGP podcast with myself, Matt Dunn and Fran Wilde joining me as ever. And you were just listening to our guest on today's show, Ross Noble, the comedian, giving his thoughts on the origin of the now famous MotoGP leg dangle. But Fran, what are we talking about on today's show? Well, of course, MotoGP, but also motorcycling and Ross's love of the sport, but also beyond the sport. Everything from his adventure riding to track days at Phillip Island, even did a tour of the UK on his bike, dictated the locations by Twitter, which would be a pretty interesting experience, I think. And of course, the most important question of our times, which is, of course, what connects British TV legend Des O'Connor to eight-time champion Mark Marquez. Certainly one of the all-time most significant questions about MotoGP riders and one of the more random podcasts you'll probably actually get from us here. But a bit of context for those of you who may be wondering more about Ross Noble. I mean, feel free to go in your spare time and have a look at his Wikipedia and search him up if depending on where you are in <laughs> you the world. You said that spare time, like this part of their time is their job. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> it's ours. Um, but uh, Ross Noble, massive, massive comedian. Uh, obviously, you can hear that he very much grew up in the northeast of England, but since then he's done shows all around the world and is massive in both the UK and Australia, which is where he is actually joining us from in this podcast. He is. He joins us from his lockdown bunker. But of course, it is the MotoGP podcast, so don't worry. It's still going to very much focus on your favourite sport. Uh, And of course, his wealth of experience riding as well, uh, with plenty from slow speed with trials, track days with James Toslin, like we said. Uh, And also his favourite aspects of our sport. I think it's always interesting to hear from another fan, even if they are, quote unquote, a famous person, uh, which is great. So I think it's definitely an episode for both the bike and the fans of MotoGP as well as of course the fans of Ross Noble yes quite but as ever today's question that we want to pass on to you guys which you'll hear about in the show a bit later on do stick around for that one because it's pretty funny not either of us of course Ross the professional comedian (laughs) Uh, please let us know write in the comments write to us on Twitter we want to know what would your MotoGP race winning celebration be yeah, we do. Let us know, please. And stick around even further at the end for the Kenwood not-so-quick-fire this week, brought to you by Kenwood, for, I think, definitely the most extravagant answer to coffee or tea that you may ever have heard. Yeah, surely one for the history books, that one. So I guess without further ado, let's hand over to us and Ross for this kind of pretty long show, to be honest. Is this your podcast setup? you've got? Than what yeah. you're doing to record your own one. Is that cardboard and stuff in the background? 
yeah. So I've got like uh, I've got like uh, bows and arrows. I've got a um, I've got a water supply, machetes, knives, uh, gas mask. Um, yeah. I don't know well, what you're expecting little... the coronavirus to look like, but uh, it seems more of a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've been doing these like um, art and about, you know, on like uh, Instagram Live and stuff, and I've been doing quite a lot of. I just figured if you're gonna be on, if you're gonna be on a lot of Zoom calls, and I've been doing a bit of the odd sort of telly stuff where. You know, I just thought he keeps cutting to people's houses and they're just there trying to show off with their books. So I thought I would set up like a, a doomsday <laughs> prepper situation behind that is me. Brilliant. Just funnier, isn't it? <laughs> hey, um, so where where are you in the world then? Because I thought you were living in Australia, and but it seems with time zones you're back here in UK. No, no, no. I'm I'm here. I'm I'm in Australia. Ah. I mean, uh, yeah, just just um, not far from Phillip Island, actually. Just oh. uh, yeah, down uh, south of Melbourne. What's right. San, San Remo, is it? No, Near, I'm, I'm a, um, a place called... I'm on the Mornington Peninsula. That's ah, where I am. Ah, okay. We, we got the ferry uh, to there, I think, last year after the most insane time pressure to try and get the last one at 5pm. That's nice. Uh, I'm quite jealous. So what did you... You got the ferry... Um, we we you, did a pre-event with Jack Miller and Fabio Quartuaro on uh, Great Ocean Road. Yeah, and then right. coming back, no one wanted to drive through Melbourne and then down. Uh, so right. they decided to get the ferry, but the sat-nav said we'd need like an hour and 10 minutes, and it was right. about 55 minutes until the last one. Right. So, uh, <laughs> so you, what, so you, went from, you went from Queenscliff across to, you, across to the bottom of the peninsula, and then, and, and then did you get another ferry that took you across to the island or did you drive to the island? No, then we drove to the island and over right. the bridge, yeah. old school style. Well, that's yeah. cool. I'm very jealous then. That's nice. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, um, where I am in the world, I'm not far from where you grew up. At the moment, I'm in County Durham <laughs> near Concert. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So... Let, me guess. Let me guess. Your eyesight was failing, so you drove to Barnard Castle. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's funny. We did that on a, on, I did, said that on an Instagram Live yesterday with some, with an actor in the US. He was like, where are you? Yeah. I said, I'm near County Durham. And he said, oh, I, I recognise that name lately. And I was like, let's not talk about why this has been in the news. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. um, cool. hey, I uh, really appreciate it. It's been me trying to be reaching out to contact you, but Franz was like, was the one who put, put your name forward. To, like, let's let's chat to Ross for the podcast. Cool. I thought you'd be a great shout. Um, so I want to first ask you, Ross, you're one of the yes. only people in 2020 who's actually watched a live motorcycle race. You're at Phillip Island for World Superbikes. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so how was that? Right. <laughs> and how does that feel yeah, to be great. one of the only people to watch it? Um, yeah, you know what? It was uh, at the time... I was, uh, yeah, at the time I was, I, it, the whole Corona thing was sort of bubbling away and I had, um, I rode down there and I'd filled my, as I was stopping at petrol stations along the way, I was going in there and I was buying loads of hand sanitizer and, um, <laughs> and my mate who I was with was just going, what is wrong with you? Like, uh, why are you buying all this hand sanitizer? You're I was one going, of them. Tr- I was going, trust me, this is that something's this is we're going to need this soon and then about about a week and a half later he went i can't believe it you bought about 40 hand sanitizers but um no it was good i mean we yes it was um it was one of those ones where i was thinking uh yeah i thought i'll go and i'll go and watch it down there and then that'll be a good start so that i can my plan this year 
was because I was a bit slack last year. I, I was kind of really busy with work, and I sort of I was missing I was missing all sorts of events. So this year, I thought, right, I'm going to make sure I watch everything. Like, I was going to watch everything. And then, oh. uh, <laughs> <laughs> not too much. <laughs> but what was it like being on the grid and stuff there? It must have been, that must have been pretty cool. Because I was, Philip Iron's always special with his MotoGP or World Superbikes, and the races were amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... Um... It's quite a, it's it's quite a, a, um, a magical place down there. It's funny because if you're not into you know if you're not into bikes, then it's it's pretty much just it's just like a bit of a holiday. You know, it's not it's 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 nice. It's not, but you know, you wouldn't go, you wouldn't necessarily pick it as your first choice of holiday destination. But uh, no, it's 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 good. It's sort of um, I used to go down because I lived over here about ten years ago. We've just moved back. And I used to go and do a lot of track days down there, you know. And it's in terms of like, a, like as a track, I can see why all the riders love it so much because it's just this sort of, it's just insane, you know. You just got like this kind of, like insanely, you know, you got an in, insanely fast straight that just leads into that kind of, you know, you you just you're right into it, you know. And then and then out the back there, um. You know, with uh, Lucky Heights and all that, just that mad thing of, uh, yeah, you kind of the the horizon is at a weird angle. The bike's leaning right over you, a weird angle, and then you sort of can't see over the top, and then you see over the top, and then you, uh, and then as you're going down, there's that tight, there's that tight right hander, and, and you know, it's one of those things where you know if you're if you're riding around there quite fast, you just you you stop and you just think, oh my lord! Like going the, going the speeds that people who can actually go faster going. It's just you know it just sort of boggles your mind, you know, because it's not you know like on a on a on a flat track, you know, you'd sort of go, wow, yeah, they, they, I'm doing what they're doing, but they're just going faster. There, you just go, I don't know how these. I don't know how these lads are actually not just crashing all the time, you know, because it's just up. It's like it's like a roller coaster, basically. But uh, um, but also because it's, I think because it's one that, you know, it's so far away from all of the other rounds. It's the sort of thing where it doesn't get it doesn't get crazy busy down there. Um, but you know, the, but people travel from all over Australia, so the so the uh, atmosphere is always uh, is always brilliant, you know. So yeah, it's good. I like it. <laughs> Sounds like you do. Um, yeah. I honestly cannot imagine. Like I've never actually done my bike license. I had a one two five for a little right. bit, mm-hmm. but even just standing on the Bass Street and then looking down into Turn One, I cannot imagine how you could ever even ride that at like 40 miles an hour when you first did it before you kind of knew where you're going with the track and kind of got up to your limit a bit more what's that feeling like how do you approach it the first time um it was uh oh no it was pretty it's pretty terrifying it was the first (laughs) it was the first track i ever I ever went on as well, oh and it God. was just <laughs> you I started quite high up. It's gonna work out. It's gonna work out what was going on. But what's funny though is that it's sort of it's one of those things where like the uh, the difference between the difference between sort of like you know like a track day, you know like a track day rider, and you know 
and they're sort of and, and even the guys that are right at the back in the motor gp it's just like i was i was i was being a bit name dropper here i was talking to james toslett about it and i was saying to him like because I, I used to go down there all the time used to do loads of track days and i said to him like um talk me through like just just talk me through what because there was a certain bits of it i got a bit obsessive about learning it you know in fact it was what my favorite thing was the final the final uh uh corner i just i was just practicing that there was one day where that's all i was doing i was just kind of you know i was riding around and then i was just making sure that i just got this the last corner onto the street you know you make up all your speed there and like i did it i was probably i was there for about three days i was sort of building up building up i just kept going over this same thing and then there was uh and then I finally, I got to the point where I thought, oh, I've got this now. And I was coming out that that final corner and I was right on it. And I thought, oh, I'm the legend here. I'm flying. <laughs> and I, as I came out, there was a, a Korean racer and he was um, he was over uh, just doing a bit of uh, practice and that. And this guy had obviously been watching me just like trying to get this, trying to get this faster and faster. And, and as I went round, I was right. I was going, I'm absolute nailing this. And this guy, he rode past me and he took his hand off his handlebars and gave me the thumbs up like, yep, I think you've got it. And I just, yep, you're, you're riding one-handed. It's just always just bringing you back down. But no, what I was going to say was that, so I, so I was talking to, to James about it and saying like, you know, t- talk me through what you're doing. And he was talking about like, there was stuff that he was doing, like he said. I think it was uh, coming into coming into turn three. He said he he sort of backed off a little bit because he's going so fast. He said there's a there's like a a bump there, and the front of the bike comes up, and it's one of those things where like a normal human being wouldn't even they wouldn't even know that that was there because you cause you just you're just not going fast enough, you know. Wow. So it's it's. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's one of those things where, like, I've got so much respect for for the riders, you know. Like, that's kind of because um, it is literally just a different, you know. It's just a, di- it's just like a different level. It's not even, it's not even sort of vaguely in the ballpark, you know. It's just <laughs> crazy time. Yeah. yeah, I can imagine that. I mean, Fran, as Fran said, she's done. She rode a one two five for a little while. My sort of last experiences of riding was throwing my mate's hundred cc motocross bike in his hedge, and then unsurprisingly never invited me back. But I suppose for your ordinary right. punter, that a track to you, someone going at your speed, all due respect, is completely different to what a track is actually like to the guys who are just absolutely wringing its neck on the absolute limit. Yeah, yeah, completely. Because they're because um, they're looking at they're looking at different things as well, you know, like where they're, you know, where they're they're sort of they're not noticing they're going so fast they're not noticing the things that you would, <laughs> you would notice. So why did you so but so you're obviously you you love your racing, but you what why why didn't you what put you off? No, Why aren't you for, for me, for me, nothing, nothing's put me off other than money, uh, the costs right. and stuff like that. Because so, me, me and Fran, like a little context about us. We we work for Dorna, who do the uh, who were the commercial rights holders for MotoGP, um, right. and we both live in Spain, where the headquarters are near, just south of Barcelona. Um, right. And uh, so, you know, moving out there, and you know, we we're fortunate enough where we both now travel uh, to all the races and do jobs there. I do a bit of commentary, Fran does a bit of commentary in the press releases side. I also do a bit of right. social media. And then, of course, we do the podcast too. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just money. Like, it's one of my things where I'm thinking, 
later in life, build a few more savings, build a few more savings, and then I'm, I'm going to get one properly. But I'd love to... Yeah. We also don't live in the correct place to even have really a dirt bike to just go ripping in around the local trails and stuff, to be honest. Right. That's right. it. Yeah, I, just, I did the CBT and then yeah. moved to Spain just before I was about test ready. And now I wish I'd made the effort to like come back a couple of weeks later and at least just do the test for the paperwork. <laughs> right. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, one one day, one day but we'll the, get the, there. The thing is that well, some things just... we're pushing for is like sorry, actually. Was... Go on. Sorry. Oh, sorry for interrupting. No, I was sorry. I was, I was just going to say like so my my first the, the reason I got into bikes in the first place was because um, I moved to London. I'd always wanted a bike, never allowed one as a kid. And then when I moved to London, I thought. Um, I was, you know, I was going to get my license and all that. And then uh, at the time, I don't know if this is still the case, but um, because of my job, basically uh, landlords, comedians and stuntmen are the three uh, <laughs> highest category insurance that you can possibly get. Right? Really? And, um, <laughs> I cannot yeah, believe that. <laughs> yeah, well, I think they think that you're just going to drive like hilarious, like you drive a clown car and the wheels <laughs> are going to fall off and there's all custard in your face or something. Um, they, yeah, it's like, um, uh, I think it's because you're, uh, a lot of comedians are raging alcoholics and like doing like crazy amounts of uh, mileage and then also it depends who you've got in the car as well you know i think they think that you know you're gonna uh you know you're gonna you're gonna write you're gonna write somebody off i don't know anyway so that <laughs> so that it was through the roof the, the insurance was through the roof so i bought a, a a 50cc pizza delivery bike and it was one that the um and at the time i think this might have changed now but used to be able to ride it um, uh, on a car license. I think you still um, can. I think you can, can you? Yeah. 50, yeah. Yeah, if you do like a, a, a you know, you do, you, you've still got to do your CBT and all that, but that was like a day. And then, um, so for ages, I was, um, I used to ride around and I would do big trips on it. I'd go down to Brighton on it, and as long as you didn't go <laughs> on the motorway. So I just kind of, so, you know, that's that's worth doing. Just get yourself a, Get yourself like a fifty cc, like a ratty little, a ratty little thing, and then just ride that around for a bit. And then, um, or if you're down in, uh, if you're near Barcelona, you should, uh, you should go and do, uh, go and do some trials riding, because mm. that's, because um, down in Spain they love it, don't they? It's it's the big, it's the they big do. thing down there, and that's, uh, you know, I love a bit of trials, and it's worth them. Um, yeah, it's worth it's worth doing that because then you sort of by the time you uh, by the time you come to do your uh, license, you'll be so technically, you know, even even just spending a little bit of time on a trials bike, your uh, you know your your clutch control and everything will be amazing. So yeah, maybe do that. Trials yeah. blows my mind to be honest. The amount of control is just insane. Like, I mean, it's insane how people can go 300 kilometers an hour and what the guys in MotoGP and World SBK do, but that's another level. Yeah. <laughs> Watching well, the that's... best trials rider in the world, it's like the, Tony the slowest, Bo. but even more impressive thing. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the mad thing. Like all of the, uh, all of the sort of greatest riders in every discipline, they all basically, they, they all, they all kind of look at trials riders and go, you know, the the top lads in trials are just, yeah, that's they're, they're the 
the masters you know that's that's something i wanted to we wrote down like looking researching you and stuff like that you've literally done like tv shows and videos of it, everything in bikes you've done i've seen you do mini motors with mcn you did uh, trials yeah. with fifth gear and dougie lampkin you've done all yeah. these motorbike tours and track days as well so do, do you just respect every single aspect like the guys who can go as slow as possible like they can just do a track stand for two minutes and then same as the guys who can go 350 kilometers an hour Oh yeah, completely. You know, I've been I've been really lucky to sort of um uh you know, I've had a chance to sort of meet and ride with, you know, like some of the so the best in the world, you know, and it's sort of it's like anything, you know, it's sort of like you know, it's like if you see somebody it's all very well playing a few chords on the guitar, you know, but if you're next to you're next to Jimi Hendrix, it's one of them things <laughs> where yeah, it's just uh I, I, and I really like the fact that um just the um just the like the dedication, you know, the sort of um, you know putting that much, putting that much time into it, and also the um, physically as well, you know, it always it always makes me laugh. You know, like I'm not into football, I couldn't care less about football. And you know, you see these see these lads in the football, they get you know they barely get touched, and they just they fall down, and they just lie there for thirty seconds, and just you know or a minute, and they're just there, and they're just writhing around in pain. And then they're helped up, and they're sort of limping around. They're like, "Oh no, don't don't come too close." And then, uh, you know, you watch there'll be like somebody sliding along the tarmac, like you know, like going some crazy speed, and they they haven't even stopped, and they're already getting up and just you know pulling their you know <laughs> pulling their boot back where it's trying to get on, and just you know, and then shouting at the marshals, "Get it going, get it going." There's none of this. Oh, I've just. I've just had a massive crash at whatever speed I was going at, you know. So you've, it's yeah, it's ultimate mo- modern day gladiators, you know. But yeah, it's it c- certain, yeah. Go on. No, I was going to say it is mental when you see a rider come off and they're sliding, and then a few you can see even for them, maybe perception of speed is not always quite what you think because they're trying to get up and yeah. run with it. When they're still sliding at like fifty miles an hour. Yeah, that's what it's I was like... thinking of when you said that. <laughs> it's great. I love it. That is one of my favorite. But I think it's it's the the I think the best way the best way to describe that is you know when you um you know like if you're on a motorway and you're doing seventy on a motorway and then all of a sudden you you slow down to and you go into a thirty, you come off the motorway and then you you know on to an estate or whatever and it's down at thirty and you're driving along and you're looking at the thirty and you're going. You know, your brain saying, "I could actually, I could probably run at this speed." <laughs> well, obviously, yeah. when you're when you're outside and that's happening, yeah, it's it is one of my favourite things because you'll see every now and again, you know, you'll see see somebody like they'll stand up and there's just it's, it's like watching them landing on the moon, you know, just flying <laughs> yeah. along like that. Yeah. It's pretty funny, isn't it? No, it's it's one of the yeah. and especially now these days we've seen so many cases in the last couple of years because it was Marquez who obviously changed it when his bike cut out at Circuit of the Americas in 2013 and he just sprinted the length of pit lane to get back on his other bike and then got pole position. Yeah. And now there's no excuse for all the other guys. They have any opportunity they can to run or like they're even running with the bikes across the finish line if they crash at the final corner and it's like there's no <laughs> yeah. excuse anymore. They're just always running. I'm I'm amazed how much they actually even can run in just the leathers and helmet. I mean, probably faster than all of us three actually running in shorts and t-shirt. Yeah, but <laughs> but again, you know, I think the sort of um, the days of uh, you know the days of the Barry Sheens of this world, you know, drilling a hole in his helmet so he can have a smoke. <laughs> they, you know, they're just they're so 
they're so insanely, you know, they're so insanely fit. They're probably, to be honest, they're probably there just going, I've spent my entire life in the gym. I really need to show people that I can run in leathers and it doesn't bother me. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It is, yeah, it is pretty impressive, even just that. Like, I think, like, you get a few athletes as well who just do other events that are people's main focus just because they can, because they're fit enough. Yes. Um, like, we get a few of the guys in MotoGP just doing ridiculous cycling races. Uh, Jensen Button was a good example from F1 when he just started doing triathlons and being incredibly competitive. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy, the level of fitness, even though that doesn't look like that's what you need. Um, but it is such an important thing now, isn't it, compared to, yeah, that Barry Sheen kind of generation when it was all just uh, a few beers and a smoke after the flags dropped, or maybe even right before. <laughs> I mean, it's that's the other thing as well. You know, you've just sort of, you know, if you do, especially on a hot day, you know, if you do sort of 20 minutes of, you know, 20 minutes of, of uh, you know, tank, tanking along nicely, you do 20 minutes of that around a track on a sports bike, and you feel it afterwards. It's not, you know, it's a, uh, you know, I always, I sort of, uh, I almost feel like there should be a thing before the race where everyone's allowed to just have a bit of a go and then just, just you've got some sort of idea. Yeah, yeah, that's what I do actually. The, well, in looking at and actually looking at some of the stuff you've done as well, um, I sort of found you on. I forgot that you were on MotoGP tonight, the old BT Sports show that they did uh, back in 2014, yeah. and you're on that lean machine. You did that 30 second challenge, and I, I was thought, I wonder whether that's the most physical thing that Ross has ever done on a bike because it certainly looked it. Uh, how dare you? <laughs> um, well, that was. Um... I wasn't too. I wasn't too bad. That it looks it was, um, Yeah, no, it was sort of. Um, it was such an insane thing because it didn't really. It wasn't massively like being on a bike. It was. It was a bit like just being on some sort of. It's like being on a weird, like a thing on the in the gym. You know, like some sort of like a stairmaster <laughs> with the springs the wrong way or something. But yeah, that was uh, that was fun. That was fun. That show. Um, I. Um, now I know this this goes out all around the world, but um, there was because uh, um, uh, Northampton is um, uh, Des O'Connor is from Northampton, <laughs> so I was trying to convince Marquez that when he like if he was going to win, uh, that as a tribute to local boy Des O'Connor, he should wear a Des O'Connor mask, and he seemed interested. <laughs> but trying to explain. And and yeah, and all the, all the Brits, we were all just going, come on, come on. You've just imagine like winning winning the race and then putting on a a Des O'Connor mask just to see if the rest of the world would just go. Who is that? Who is that mahogany faced nineteen uh, seventies uh, song songster? Oh my yeah. lord, that that would he be didn't... quite something to see. I bet a lot of people as well. If you aren't a UK or extremely niche overseas listener, oh. Google Des O'Connor. <laughs> well, actually, in the last episode we did, at the end, in the outro, we said, oh, here's things after this episode you need to go on YouTube. Uh, and l- last episode it was, you should go on YouTube uh, and find on the internet the difference between a MotoGP bike and an F1 car and maggots and Beckers of Silverstone. This one's going to be, go and check out Des O'Connor. <laughs> check, yeah, check it out. You know, if you're listening in like Latvia or somewhere. 
check out Des O'Connor. <laughs> no, but we were trying to after um yeah, after I think after that show, because we were just saying like uh you know, because you know sometimes you know how like the 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 celebrations like sometimes they can be like really tenuous and you sort of going, Why are they doing that? What's the what's the significance of that? So we were sort of saying, well, if you don't want to do Desert, he was like, I don't know who Des O'Connor is. I'm not. And he thought we were taking the mickey, you know. But and then, then we said, why don't you just get like a flower pot and put like a flower pot on your head, and then so that so that the press and all the fans are trying to work out what the significance is of, <laughs> of the flower pot. And, uh, oh. I think I think you had bigger, bigger fish to fry. <laughs> so, so the, the, I'm I mean, sure the, they're in the the Repsol Honda notebook of ideas now, though. Don't you worry. One of these days, there'll be a flower pot on Desert Connor. <laughs> you know, you might you might as well just like uh, you know, if you if you're winning as much as he is, just do some sort of celebration. I just... always wonder this because, like, when when Danny Pedrosa was going to retire. And there was all of the rumours and everything. And I got sent on one of the Thursdays to do the media debrief. And yeah. he's obviously hates doing that. So he's just like, mm. and like, I was like, I know I've got to ask you the questions. Cause that's why I'm here. He answered yeah, yeah. them. And I said afterwards, if you hate this so much, and if you are genuinely going to retire and you're like, there's nothing you're going to lose here. Why don't you just tell people something crazy? Like, why don't you yeah. just say like, yeah, I've just signed for Scuderia Ferrari. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, you might as well. Just you know. Sometimes just have a bit of a laugh with it. Maybe yeah, I'm just... trying to encourage that from our riders, but it was just a funny thing. Like, you can just say something funny sometimes, just break that ice yeah. a little bit, take the heat off. But the trouble is, though, is that whatever you say, whatever you say in an interview, it then goes into the, um, it then goes into the archive and you get asked that question. <laughs> again and again every time it's like someone who put on um on wikipedia that i used to be a backing singer for the band <laughs> the cane gang now the cane gang used to sing the opening theme music to a british children's television program called biker grove oh uh, no that not that oh god there you go so you, there's something else after you've done des o'connor check out biker grove and the in, and the entire song just went biker groove, biker, 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 <laughs> biker. Grove. We drove through it the other week, actually. Biker up here. Oh man! Yeah. Well, weirdly, uh, biker groove wasn't filmed in biker. Yeah. It was filmed, filmed. So you know, it's tricky. But um, and then at the end, it went down out biker groove, and uh, yeah, and apparently that was me doing that. And it's one of them things where once it's on your Wikipedia, they go, no, you were in. So that's probably why they don't do it. Because if they say, you know, if because they could make up anything. They could say something like, um, I'll put a, a lucky mouse's spine in my boot every time I race. I've got the spine of a mouse and I just slide it into the boot. And then they would be asked about it like forever. Like, but do you know what? That's we could actually put that as the title of the podcast somehow, and then uh, just try and set everybody else off to go and ask the riders what they put in the bottom of their boots. To be honest, we're perfectly. <laughs> That's a great. That's a great idea. What What do you put in your boots for good luck? Yeah. <laughs> just, just keep asking them that, and just see if we go. Because if you get asked that enough, because what? Because what will happen? I, you say I've got I've got this theory, right? I've got this theory, like you know, you know how like. When uh, 
you know how Rossi brought in that thing of you know the the leg dangle, right? Mm-hmm. And like it was the sort of thing where like so he starts dangling the leg, and you know now obviously he said at the time it was because of the way the bike was set up and it just made the whole thing it just, you know it just steadied him as he was you know as he's going around the corner and now i've got two theories on this right one he started the leg dangle because he thought if i just put that leg out then if somebody's going to come up up the inside then i basically that's going to buy me an extra say 30 centimeters and you know the sort of that amount of precision and he's thinking no one's going to risk snapping my leg so he either did it for that but i've sort of got this feeling that he might have started doing it because he just thought everyone's copying me so i'm gonna start dangling the leg so i've got this feeling that there's gonna be like when he retires i think that like he's gonna come out and go oh you know that whole leg thing that wasn't required I literally did it. I literally did it to see what, just to see if everyone else would copy. I think there are certain things which actually, if one rider does it, they'll all start doing it. And it's completely true. Uh, Yeah, it's true that with great power comes great responsibility to also make sure you don't get too cocky. (laughs) (laughs) With trying to change everything. I I always get the feeling that like... uh, I was thinking that Lorenzo's probably, you know, when you buy those action figures and they come in the sort of plastic bubble, you know, they'll be like a, you know, the old Star Wars figures where they'll have like sort of uh, a piece of cardboard and then the plastic bit over the top where they're in the thing. I always imagine, for some reason, I always imagine Lorenzo sleeps in a giant one of them. <laughs> what, just I puts himself away just, at night? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I think he's just like got a big cardboard back, like he's. It just strikes me as the story, you know, like with all the, you know, all that sort of uh, sports psychology and all the rest of it. That yeah, he doesn't. Uh, he do, Yeah, I think he just literally they put him in the they put him in the vacuum pack, and he just he stands up with his arms out to the side. Maybe that's why he looks so relaxed now. He's retired. He's allowed to sleep in a proper bed now. <laughs> he doesn't have to be. In the, in the, I don't have to, you know of the the air in the bottom or something. Hopefully. <laughs> it's quite a theory. Yeah, go on. What were you going to ask, Frank? I'm sorry, I was going to interrupt you then. No, I was just going to go back to, to Ross on bikes. Yeah. Um, and you've done you've done a few different things, not just like riding and you enjoying it, but like kind of competitive stuff. You did the yeah. Red Bull Romaniacs. Yeah. I think you've done you've done a bit of a uh, bit of road tripping with Charlie Borman as well. Yeah, what's yeah, what's your favorite kind of experience of them and why why are you doing them? What is the attraction yeah, of doing that more than just you riding and track days and that kind of stuff? I um I started off like so I was uh you know I do the track days now sort of uh, and I was do you know like um going uh doing the green lane and you know going off riding um the dirt bikes you know just sort of on the um you know just going off for the day you know and having a bit of a bit of a ride and then um i was in uh i was in wales i was i was down in wales uh, doing a bit of off-road riding down there and the guy that runs you know Touratech that do all the the bike bits and stuff the guy that runs that also has a he runs this 24-hour um 
uh, it's a 24-hour uh, enduro race, quite a full-on. So you basically you start you start on the Saturday night and then you ride for 24 hours. You know you're allowed to f- fuel up, but you just you don't stop. And um, so it's one of those things where I'd never raced before, and we were in the pub, and he just went, "Oh, we got this on next week," and he just jokingly went, "Oh, you should uh, you should come and uh, enter," you know. So I talked this mate of mine. I said, "My mate, I was with." I said. We should do it. Never, never done it. Hadn't even done like a local Aaron Hounds or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> and a so, week uh, before with, with yeah, plenty of before, time to yeah. train for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hopelessly out of our depth. Didn't know what we were doing. And then uh, I just really loved it, you know. So then I spent the next five years just doing, just going back and just, you know, just racing this 20 this insane because also the thing that appealed to me was it's like you know once i get out riding i don't want to stop i'm like a little kid like it's time for you to you know get a, get a right hoof so it's just you didn't have to you didn't have to stop so yeah so i did that and then um and then i started and then and then I, I just really enjoyed i just really enjoyed uh racing but it was one of those things where i didn't really you know do, you know doing a you know Racing enduro is sort of, um, it's quite, it's just really accessible, you know. You don't have to have, like, a, you know, once you've got your bike and your gear, you're, sort of, you're pretty much set, you know. Um, so, yeah, so I started doing that. And then um, and then I got into, uh, I noticed that all the guys that were really good on the technical stuff were, uh, were like, from a trials background. So I then started, um, so then I, I bought a trials bike and started playing around with that. And then that became, so I was doing the trials and then I was doing the extreme enduros. That's how I ended up doing uh, um, Romaniacs and Roof of Africa. And it's just like the more extreme it was, just the more, just the more fun it was. Because it was, you know, it wasn't just, it wasn't just like, uh, you know, racing around the field. It was just kind of like, oh, I'm in the middle of Transylvania and there's a, you know, and there's bikes flying over my head and stuff. And it was one of those things where I just, I just loved every minute of it. And that's kind of, and then it was doing the trials in order to get better at the enduro when I like really fell in love with the trials. And then of course, I, I don't do anything. I don't do anything by half. So I literally just have to fully commit. And then that's when I was doing the trials and I started competing in the trials. And that's when I went, I'm going to go off and do the, uh, the Scottish 60, you know, which is pretty much like for a, you know, for like a, a, an amateur sort of club rider. That's like the, you know, you're riding, a, you know, you're riding alongside like the, you know, like the best in, in the world, you know. So, uh, so yeah, so I just, I went and uh, went and did that and, um, and just got a bit obsessed with it. And, uh, and then with that one, a month before the TV lot went, Oh, we should make a make a show out of this. Well, oh, okay. This was just going to be for fun. So then, all of a sudden, I had the added pressure of having a TV crew following us. <laughs> so yeah, it's just, I just, it's one of those things where, like, it, it left to my own devices, I'd just go out and uh, I'd just ride all day, and it's just uh, and it's just fun to you know <laughs> racing. I just really like the racing because somebody else has set the track out, and um, you know, you kind of you see someone, you think, oh, I'll pick them off, and then you. You try and keep up with somebody that's way faster than you. Try and see how long you can stay with them, and it's uh, just playing, isn't it? I just like playing on my bike. 
It, it definitely seems like uh, we always say about a lot of the MerGP riders these days with the fitness and stuff, MerGP riders use MerGP to fund their cycling habits or their other sport habits. It, it definitely seems like you got into being a comic to fund your motorcycling habit. Do you see it that way? Was that a plan? Or? <laughs> Certainly. There's a, there's a lot to be said for that, to be honest. <laughs> oh, you've just gone completely green. Me? Can you still hear me all right? Yeah, 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 you're I can fine. See you. Oh, yeah, you look fine. That's weird. You've literally gone green. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, wow, what has happened there? What, are we just a green phase of green shade? You've literally gone like, um, uh, hang on. You've gone like the predator. <laughs> oh, what? oh, there you go. Hang on. Uh, oh, no, you've disappeared for me. I'm just looking at myself. Yeah, uh, I'm just so- looking at myself as well. <laughs> oh, where have I gone? Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Pretty much my ultimate nightmare. I know. Am I back? <laughs> e- coming back. Yeah, you're back. Yeah, you're there. there you go. It's okay. I'm back. Fantastic. Um, uh, what was this? Yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's kind of... Um, uh, have you spoken to... Um, you must have talked to... To Carl Cox, have you on here? Uh, we, no, have we haven't. Not, no, no, but he's got. He's got to be actually a good shout for for the near future, haven't we? Met him at Philip Park hey, a few times because he lives there, doesn't he? Well, right hey, there. he lived. He lives just up the road from me. He lives <laughs> lives pretty much next to my kid's school. Um, so so bizarre. Um, somebody went. You know. Uh, you know, Carl Cox just lives around the corner. I was like, oh, okay, didn't. Know that, but, um, uh, yeah, I think you know he's he's the same. You know, he's. Uh, superstar dj but you know he's pretty much uh pretty much doing it to fund his fund his bike habit but i kind of i was quite lucky because i managed to combine the two you know so i um in 2007 um i did a tour of australia which we made into a tv show and that was um uh we did a 80 day tour and it was a full well, it wasn't just a full loop. It was a, it was a loop and zigzagging across the middle of the country as well, uh, down the east coast. Um, and that was uh, no airplanes at all. That was all on my bike. That was twenty six thousand kilometers we did. Um, you know, and that was and that was just an excuse to that was just an excuse <laughs> to ride around. You know. Yeah, because it seemed like um, I think I watched also the first five, couple of minutes of your freewheeling show on your first episode, oh. and you were like, "I'm not sure how much of a TV show this is, but it's definitely something to do." And at that point, I was just like, <laughs> "You, you crafty bugger, you've just done this. You can go tour around <laughs> Britain, anyways." I mean, the thing, the thing about the freewheeling was is that it was, um, it sort of, um, so the idea of the show was was to basically I was on my bike, and then. Uh, there was no sort of format to the show. I would literally tweet and just say, what are you doing? Where, what, you know, to, what, what's happening? And I'll come and visit you. And then we sort of made up what the, sh- so like there was times where it was kind of, uh, it wasn't really, so it, was, it wasn't really a chat show. It sort of had elements of like, you know, I'd go and interview people, but then um, we just go to people's work. And then sometimes it was a travel <laughs> show. But we didn't. We didn't ever feature. We never featured like touristy things. Um, you know, somebody would go. My favorite episode was when somebody said, "Don't come to Northampton. It's shit." So, uh, so we went to Northampton and we devoted an hour of television to basically proving whether Northampton, just deciding whether Northampton was shit or not. And we ended up in a. We ended up in a garden of uh, Robert Llewellyn's old house. 
Robert Llewellyn, we convinced him to come along. We made uh, we we went to a pottery centre and we painted up. We made a fake um, blue plaque out of a, a plate, out of a, a dinner plate, and then we got um, the mayor of Northampton, the head of the council, the nineteen seventy six uh, sports personality of the year. Um, and a woman dressed as Tina Turner, and we uh, we staged a ceremony and just to, you know just something to do. So that that whole show was basically just kind of, um, but it, even though it was just mucking about, it was incredibly intense to make because we had a week to make each episode, oh. and it was basically like if we don't film anything, we've got. Like we would have had to have gone back to the channel. They were like ringing up, going, "What are you doing?" And I go, oh, "I'm in Wales. I'm in a bank vault. Someone's giving me a bag of custard." And that was, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It was just like, "Yep, that'll do." And then and off we went. So uh, yeah. So as much as it was, uh, it was great fun riding around Britain. Um, didn't really have any time to. Uh, didn't really have any time to sort of enjoy the. Um, it it was it wasn't leisurely that show. It was just <laughs> it was from like it was twelve hours a day of just desperately just seeing what we could just trying to film anything that we could turn into a TV show. I loved it. It was great. Looking back on it now, I don't know how we did it. It was just it was pretty insane, but it's good fun. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, should we? We just wanted to ask you because I know you got to go to a, to your next sort of commitment fairly soon. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you a couple of uh, questions just about MotoGP then, um, uh-huh. as well. Like, what are your what are your favourite sort of storylines from uh, from from the championship? What sort of riders do you look at most? Do you just appreciate the riding, or do you think like, oh, I love that guy where he's come from, or I love an underdog, that sort of thing? What 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 really gets you going in the sport? Um, I really like. Um... I mean, for me, I really like when, um, like, I really like it when you see like all of them kind of, uh, kind of up against it. You know, I think like um, when it's, um, I always think I know it's it sort of slows everything down, but I really love a, I love a wet, I love a wet race. You know, because it just, you know, not only is it that thing of going, <coughs> oh, is that, or t- timing wise, is that person gonna that person going to get it you know the that... gaps go down so much quicker in the wet as well if yeah. someone gets into a groove like a two second gap can disappear in like two laps yeah and and also you know that like and it's 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 a bit um uh a bit sadistic i suppose but like um you know you just know how just how much they're you know just how difficult it is you know so that's um i think it was uh Christopher Mullen one year did a still like this incredible, incredible ride in the wet, you know, like, um, you know, just seeing that sort of, um, because you know, it's just, it just instantly becomes slower, but it just, there's so much more, so much more going on, you know, Um, and, uh, and obviously it's great, you know, it's it's always nice when um, it was, it's sort of, I'm trying to think if there's any, is there any sort of massive, massive rivalries like real, you know, nasty rivalries now? But well, I did quite. I I did really enjoy that era of you know, like with Biaggi and and Rossi and 
Gibbonow and all that, you know. I think that was... Um, classic era, classic era. You know, it was just such a, you know, because it wasn't just about watching amazing racing. It was, you, you knew there was, uh, you know, there was, you knew there was more to it, you know. <laughs> I guess, yeah, now we have like the Rossi-Marquez rivalry, but it's not on track that often. So it's got a bit of a yeah. different flavour to it, I think, than those guys where... Yeah, it'd be a similar kind of rivalry, but every single Sunday they'd be in the same seat feet, seat feet, six feet of tarmac every yeah. single day. It just yeah, makes no. it, yeah, it's a bit of a difference, isn't it? Now, and a lot of people talk about how uh, how the rivalries are actually too nice now. Sometimes there's some there's some bubbling away. It's mainly it's funny because you got Marquez versus Davizioso, which is a rivalry, but there's so much respect there. It's nothing like what you had with with Rossi and Biaggi and everything like that. Then. You know, a couple of we first saw at Phillip Island last year, Marquez versus Vinales. That was the first sort of showdown then to have, but even still, it's it's not like it used to be in a way which some people in favour of. It's nice to be nice, and then some people like I just I wish they hated each other a bit more. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Because you sort of yeah, I, I still maintain my my favourite race of of all time was uh, uh, Rossi and Stoner at Laguna Seca. Mm. I still think that was, that you know, there's been nothing, there's been nothing, you know, close to that. The fact that, you know, anyone, you know, anyone else would have just, like both of them technically should have crashed, but they just didn't. And you know, you're <laughs> yeah. watching it going, like, how is, how is this possible? Like, how can this, you know, I still think that was, yeah. It's awesome. an absolute all-timer, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's, um, yeah. Right. Well, we've so, got a quick-fire round, haven't we, to finish off with? Oh, God, here yes, we go. Yeah, if yeah. we can. It shouldn't be too stressful. Yeah, right. we, we, <laughs> we, only, we only came up with the questions about an hour ago. So uh... There's also, I think the way we've been introducing this, I've just realised it, makes it almost sound like it's some sort of quiz. Like you don't yeah. have to know any answers. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's I just, just your said thoughts. that I, went, I don't I don't claim to be an expert at all. <laughs> Go on then. Don't worry. Do you want to introduce it, Fran? Yeah, so it's sponsored by our friends at Kenwood, who also do the radios in the MotoGP paddock to uh, make us all secret agenty on the go. Uh, and what it's the, basically um... just uh, and they do the kettles as well. They do the I kettles. I believe they, they do, do yeah. a whole range of things. I didn't know it, actually. Well, it's like That's my it. first guitar was is a Yamaha. Kettle Kenwood? No, it's not. <laughs> Yamaha, it's... Yamaha, the musical, the musical yeah. instruments. That sort of, um, uh, yeah. There's a Tim Vine had a great joke where he went, uh, he said, I, I went into the, I went at the hardware, no, hardware shop, where, electrical shop, said, uh, can somebody sell me a kettle? He said, Kenwood, go, go and get him then. <laughs> there you go. So go on then, yeah. So Kenwood, yeah, right. for, for all your for all your radio and kettle needs, <laughs> yeah. Uh, right, uh, Matt, do you want to start? Yeah, off? okay. Well, the Kenwood quickfire then. So it's just some quickfire questions. You can ramble on a little bit if you fancy, but right, a couple okay, of them will be on. a bit quicker. So the first one is mm-hmm. coffee or tea. Uh, I would go. I go tea, but always a, a, a mint tea. Ideally, a Moroccan mint. Don't drink normal tea. Don't drink normal coffee. I only drink wow. Moroccan mint tea. <laughs> wow. How posh of you. <laughs> That's an incredibly yeah. niche answer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we've used this on the last one, but it was an also Australian. So we're, we're going to go for it again. So you've got some themes there with where you are. Marmite. Veggie. 
Or Vegemite. I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. You'll be asking me Harold or Alf next. No, no, no. Which one? you go for? What, between Harold and Alf? No, no, Vegemite or Marmite. Vegemite. Vegemite, every time, Vegemite, yeah. Ooh, controversial, okay. What a traitor. That's disappointing. Well, you know, it's because, you know, my... my eldest daughter was born in Australia and my wife's Australian. So it's, um, yeah, it's kind of, it's 2-2 two, two in our in our house. <laughs> so, uh, and, you know, I just think, I think, uh, you know, as I've, as I've adopted, as Australia has adopted me, I feel it's only right to assimilate <laughs> the culture. Very appropriate. Okay, now I feel bad for calling you a traitor. I'll take it back. <laughs> um, <laughs> touring or track days? Oh, blimey. I well, I would say track days, but uh, I would say doing the show would be number one. But given the choice of flying around, you know, being in airplanes all the time or sitting in the car, I'd far rather be uh, far rather be doing a track day than than the actual physical traveling every time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, what's your favorite place in the world? Wow, my favourite place in the world. Ooh, probably well, here because I moved here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I, um, yeah, Australia. But I like the, I like the, the Australian. Um, I mean, I love the cities, but yeah, the 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 Australian um, uh, outback and you know the bush. The bush is what I like. <laughs> like a true native. Yeah. Um, in three words or less, describe what it was like doing a lap on the back of a two-seater MotoGP bike. Um, uh, <laughs> am I allowed to say absolutely f***ing terrifying? Yes. Like? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can <put> a bleep in. <laughs> um, yeah. Massive. It was incredible. That was absolutely... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was one. It was one of those things where, like, because uh, I said, um, I said basically, because uh, I thought, you know, you, you're never gonna get a chance to, you're never gonna get a chance to experience that, you know. F- so, so it was basically like, right, do you want, you know, if you hold on, and if if I'm going too fast, like tap me on the shoulder or whatever, and I just said, look, just I don't care if I come off. Let's just go as like just go all out i basically said just show off and by the time we got to the first corner i went oh god no this is not good <laughs> <laughs> it was incredible we just you know the front wheel was just you know he's, he's just trail breaking into the new just you could feel what you think how is the front not gone and then just you know the front just you know we were like the front wheels coming off the ground while we were still leaning over and stuff it was yeah it was brilliant what a, what a treat! What an absolute treat! And at one point, I looked up because it was just before just before the race. I sort of, I was sort, I couldn't really see where we were going. And I looked across, and they were they had the because they had the cameras, and they were sort of, you know, it was being shown on the big screen. And I looked up, and I went, "Oh look, there's me on the." Th-. And we went into the next corner. We're like, <laughs> Brilliant! Yeah. Okay. Right. So the person who taught you the most about riding. Or people. Uh, person that taught me the most about riding would probably be um, uh, my mate Jimmy. 
uh, James Burroughs. He he runs a um. In fact, he he works with um. So he's got this company called uh, uh, Body Clinic. He's got a gym, and it's um. And he you know he trains regular humans, but he also trains a <laughs> lot of each. He trains riders, and he also because he's from a racing background and, and uh, he trials dirt bikes, um, uh, enduro, um, which is how I met him. And he so he's got a gym, and he so not only does he sort of do regular training, but his focus is he trains um, motorcyclists and and car racers as well. You know, so he's um, so he's really good at um, well, he's he's just a, he's just a really great. Um, I mean, get a bit. He can get a bit grumpy and shout at you if you're not uh, <laughs> not doing it right. But uh, yeah, he's he's been the one that uh, yeah has taught me the most. I think. Yeah. Awesome. Um, best place in the world to ride a bike. Wow, the best place in the world to ride a bike. I would say, um, I think Africa. Is is probably, um, I mean Morocco, <laughs> hence my love of the mint. Tea. <laughs> yeah, the the, um, the the sand dunes, the sand dunes in Morocco are just amazing. Like, because uh, you've got these sort of like, you know, these hundred foot high to cathedral dunes. I think about four hundred foot high, and it's just um, and the wind. So the wind blows over the dunes and it gets rid of all the tracks. And you can just you can just ride at these you know you'll have this hundred foot high uh, f- you know like kind of uh, like a wall you know just a wall of sand and you can ride out right up it and you know go you know go off the top of the dunes and get yourself in these like bowls that are like a, um, you know you can drop in and then you can ride around them like it's a wall of death and stuff. <laughs> So um, it's amazing. Like you got to be careful. You don't, you know, if there's if there's tourists on the camels, you got to be you got you got to listen out a bit. But uh, yeah, I, I think I think yeah, probably probably Erg um, Chebi in uh, in Morocco. Perfect. Okay. Well, I'm going to be heading there soon, even just to watch that. Um, so, yeah. Three people from the motorcycling community. Uh, to take to dinner, who would you pick? Uh, Steve Parrish would be the top of the top of the list. Um, Parrish is always um, he's just he's just daft, you know. He's just always. I wouldn't I wouldn't eat the dinner if he'd had anything to do with preparing <laughs> it or uh, getting near it. Uh, from the motorcycle world, um, uh, who else? Uh, Dougie Lampkin. Uh, 12 times world trials champion um he's uh oh no 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 what are you doing what are you doing that's all wrong oh no never never oh you made it over that never um that's a cracking uh, impression um, <laughs> that's exactly what he's like <laughs> just that's it you got it round the back round the back um so yeah i would say i would say dougie i would say parish um who else? Who else is? Um, uh, who else would I say? Probably um, uh, Simon Pavey, the um, uh, the Dakar, Dakar rider, the Dakar rider. Toby Price actually as well. He's uh, yeah, 
he, he would be good. So, but yeah, probably Pavey, I reckon. Awesome. Okay, then, la- yeah. last question. Um, I mean, yeah. obviously, for everyone uh, wondering about uh, why Steve Parrish would be a bit of an issue cooking the meal, I mean, there could be some laxatives in there very easily. Just have a straight yeah. beeline for the for the toilet, I guess, in that case. <laughs> um, <laughs> sure, no. Like, he, he, I don't know if he's, has he still got his pub? He, um, I don't know if he has, but he used to have a pub and uh, they did food in the pub. And uh, his missus brought all this amazing food out first. And I was just like, really? And he went, I promise. I absolutely promise that I haven't touched it. I was like, all right, friend. <laughs> okay, then. Last question. In one sentence, why should everybody listening who isn't already start riding motorcycles? Um, in one sentence. Or two, uh, if you want. But you can have plenty of sort of sub-clauses, commas, add lots of punctuation to make it a real Kerouac paragraph um I would say um you could you could probably um you could probably sum it up with one word really freedom I would say I think uh uh freedom uh excitement um freedom excitement and focus I would say were the, the three the three things I think the people who don't ride bikes I think there's something about you know, in, in these in these times where you know people sort of, uh, you know, people, you know, that mindfulness seems to be the um, uh, seems to be the thing that everyone's trying to do nowadays, isn't it? Trying to trying to be mindful, and I think there's something there's something about riding a motorbike that just sort of um, that for me anyway, it it because as you might be able to tell. It's quite a lot of noise in my head, you know, <laughs> and, and, and it's kind of a lot of stuff knocking around in there. And and riding a bike is just, um, it it sort of, it's like you 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 put your helmet on, and it's like you have to be incredibly focused. I get very easily distracted, but you got to put your helmet on, and it really sort of it focuses you because especially on the road you think i've got to be hyper aware because you know assume that no one can see you and there's that element of um risk you know riding on the road i suppose you know riding on the track or whatever or off road as well you know that thing of you know especially if you're riding fast and you sort of you just it forces your brain to be like a hundred percent for, you have to be in the moment. That's that's the thing. You can sort of, you know, to, often in like this wild star sound like the Dalai Lama, but <laughs> in life, a lot of people are either thinking about, they're worrying about the future and they're dwelling on the past. And on a bike, you have to be in the moment. You have to be where you are right there. But at the same time, there's a kind of meditative thing that goes on where you know, sometimes you can drive home and you get home and you go, how did I end up here? But you were focused the whole time and it just does that. You know, you put your helmet on, it just, everything just sort of, and it makes, it makes the noise go away. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, when you're in the shower, or when you're in the shower and you sort of like, and you, you're washing yourself and you're awake and you're thinking, right, don't, you're not, it's going, oh, don't fall, don't slip on the soap and fall over. You know, that's in your head. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's like that. But but you're you're washing yourself. You're in there because you have to wash yourself. But but at the same time, your your mind just kind of sort of is your subconscious mind is is kind of just 
uh, playing her out. So it's, it's, yeah, that's good. I know it's what you mean. That, that is I know what you yeah. mean perfectly. What yeah. great way to finish. <laughs> so, yeah, so like, you know, if anyone tries to charge you for like, um, you know, sort of uh, mental health, you know, things to improve your mental health, just, you know, to keep save your money and buy a bike. That's what I say. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I'll tell you what, what a great way to finish Kenwood Quickfire. Uh, we're going to start calling the not so Kenwood Quickfire because this happens every time. It just, uh, it's probably oh. the longest part of the show. <laughs> well, why don't you, here's an idea, right? And this is me putting on my uh, producer's hat. Why don't you get a Kenwood, 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 that's a house. Uh, why don't you get a Kenwood kettle and then fill it to the brim with cold water, turn it on, and you have to answer all the questions before the kettle boils. That's actually a very good shout. <laughs> and the last question, the last question is, is your coffee? Oh, Ross Noble, you, you might have just secured that's, a sponsorship for next year as that's well. <laughs> really annoyingly brilliant, annoyingly because it wasn't my idea. But you know what? It's one of those things where all of my uh, all of my gigs have have been postponed. Um, so um, you know, I'm more than happy if Ken would want to uh, if they want to sponsor me, I would quite happily walk uh, <laughs> their kettles all around all and the radios. Oh, quick, quick, just quickly, can I um can I just plug a couple of things? Of course, um, I was I was going to say fire away, absolutely. Right, so um, I've I've got a podcast and I've just started it. It's called uh, Ross Noble Podcast. Up all night thinking of that. <laughs> and um, it is myself um, and a, a mate of mine, Ed Cavalli, and uh, we're going to be getting some uh, guests on. And what we're doing is we're uh, we're basically, we're, we pick a different music video um, each week <laughs> and we just d- dissect the, the music video don't don't come if you if you're like a big music fan and you want insights into the how the video was made there's none of that we basically talk about whether or not uh the video would cause problems for moths that's one of our big things <laughs> wasn't that about um, the, the weekend the blinding lights. lights yes that's right Brilliant. yeah so we uh we, we the first one was uh was blinding lights and uh most of it we talked for 15 minutes about whether or not uh whether or not the weekend who I think is called Theodore Weekend. That is just shortened down version of his name. Uh, whether whether he's lurching or lunging at a pigeon at the start of the video. So that gives you an idea of what that is. But you can get that on all the on all the podcast stuff. And then um, I've also for a limited time for a month, I've got uh, I've got six full shows from my Brain Dump tour, which are available on Soho Theatre on demand. They're four quid each, and you can download them. And forty uh, percent of the money is going to uh, Soho Theatre to help them stay open because they're not getting there's no tickets being sold. And then I'm splitting the rest of the money with uh, Acting for Others, which is a a charity that helps people out who uh, are uh, of a theatrical nature who've fallen on on hard times. So it's uh, Soho Theatre on demand. So there's the visual, and then you can go the podcast for, which is free. And uh, there you go. So something Perfect. for everyone. Something oh, for everyone, and I, definitely. And and I also ha- I highly recommend the radio and kettle work of Mister Kenwood. <laughs> Kenwood, <laughs> that's his name. Yeah. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been so fun and funny. Uh, we'd we'd love to do it again sometime in the in the future. We've got so much to Definitely. talk to you about. 
Yeah, well, when we get uh, races back and we can have fans back as well, make sure you come and visit. Yes, I shall hopefully see you uh, in the flesh at some point. <laughs> thanks right. a lot, Ross. Really appreciate right, thanks it. Thanks so much. Really, uh, bye-bye. Bye. So, hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, here we are, back again to waffle at you. And Matt, you seem to be wearing a completely different shirt. Yeah, I, I don't know really what happened. It might be that we've done the outro about a week later than the actual interview because we've had to swap around Could some it guests. Be? <laughs> Could it be? Could it be? Knows? We've uh, swapped some stuff around. We've, we've had to change right. his schedule. <laughs> We have, but regardless, you can't tell with me, you see, because I own about 75 black T-shirts that all look pretty pretty similar. Yeah. Um, so things you need to search for after this one then, of course, the eponymous Des O'Connor, <laughs> Ross Noble stuff, all the stuff that he mentioned, and also the freewheeling show. That was great. Who is coming up then in this reordered version of reality next week? <laughs> well, the funny thing is we know who's coming up in the future, but other people don't and everything like that. But next week, uh, we actually have a team boss back. We're, we're switching it back to just inside MotoGP paddock. Razlan Rizali, the team principal of the Sepang racing team, will be talking to us. We wanted to get in touch with him. Sorry for all those people expecting news about Rossi or whoever in 2021. It's not going to be about that at all. We want to talk about the rise of MotoGP in Southeast Asia, how that come about from a perspective on the inside. And also we want to talk with Razlan about just how hard it really is in motorcycle racing at the very top level from Moto3 to MotoGP. How hard is it as a team principal or as a rider? Should be a really, really interesting episode. Yeah, definitely. I had a couple of chats with him at the CEV, I think, a couple of years ago. And there's some interesting stuff about Sepang and their role in it and sort of talent development and some of the hurdles that they face that others don't. Should be a good deep dive for those of you who, uh, yeah, take more of an interest in that and what it's kind of like to be in that position in the paddock. And I think for, I don't know who exactly is listening, where you guys are from, I mean, let us know. Feel free to send us a comment or a tweet where you're watching from. But for those of you in Europe who might be watching MotoGP social media channels and wondering, what on earth is this language that's appearing on all these comments or on the Instagram lives? What's the language here? And Or WKWKWK, as you see, you, you will get to understand how big MotoGP really is in Southeast Asia. It's truly fascinating. It is. So shout out to everyone in that part of the world as well. Malaysia, Indonesia, you're all crazy for MotoGP and MotoGP loves you too. Yes. So I hope you enjoy that episode coming up and thanks for watching this one. Or listening to. Yeah.